And this is the first time that I really was like, enough. Like, yeah. there's just something in me that snapped. I was like, no more, all done. And that's when she came at me and uh, tried to bait me into a physical altercation. And I wouldn't hit her, I wouldn't fight her. And she backed me up against the fridge. And when the slapping um, and, the, and the antagonizing didn't go anywhere, and I looked at him, who's standing over here, I said, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to hurt her. She's aggressive. That's when she upped the ante and she trashed the kitchen, flipped the laundry basket of all the laundry I had done, and uh, grabbed a knife and scissors off the cutting board and came at me full force and tried to stab me when I was five weeks pregnant. Well, I can see why that incident, like you said, kind of kicked up a lot of stuff for you. Oh, wicked. Really gotten, uh, was a stumbling block in all that work you mentioned doing before. Mm -hmm. um, My yeah. mother used to be very aggressive, but she was passive aggressive, and she would um, recruit my stepfather, and he was the violent one. He was the one who would be like, you wait until your father gets home. And when I was younger, he used to use the belt. Mm -hmm. um, he used to, I remember, I, I think it was 15 or 16, maybe 16. It had been a few years, and uh, he did one of his I, I stood up to them because my mother would often bait like arguments. She would have meltdowns and it was like a double bind and she would just, it would come out of nowhere and we would, and I would lose no matter whether I kept my mouth shut or whether I said something or I didn't. It was just like projection central. I was like her little puppy. And, um, I wrote, she used to basically recruit my stepfather to do the work and, and when he would come home like he was the one who I would have to deal with and I was a very creative curious child who was always hands-on getting myself into anything but I was being left unsupervised for unusual lengths of time and like we'll get into more of that as to some of the risks that my parents put me in sure. um, but um, I was about 16 when I did something. I think I, I spoke back and stood up for myself, and it was just like, no, not gonna happen. I don't remember what happened, but my stepfather tried chasing me down the hall toward my bedroom like usual, with his like, feet, like trying to kick me. And I remember turning around and facing him, and we're in this tiny little hallway of our house, and I was like, and I went off, and just something snapped in me. And this seems to work, this is a new thing for me, and I'm resorting back to this, but I looked at him, I was like, Basically, you are not my father, and if you fucking touch me again, I will fucking kill you. And the look on his face, and I, I, I broke him. That was that he's n never really looked me in the eye or touched me since or spoken since. And honestly, I prefer to keep it that way. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you were, like you said, you were able to stand up for yourself. I see a lot of similarities between that incident and the one you just mentioned. Wicked, yeah. So. Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, you've done a lot of summary of kind of what you know, childhood, and like you said, we'll get into more of it. But mm -hmm. just wanted to pause briefly just yeah. to kind of because there's already a lot. A bit more. <laughs> yeah, there, there definitely is. And um, but just you know, I think a couple of things to before we continue, just to remind you of kind of like the frame of therapy here. And it sounds like you are well, probably can guess what I'm about to say. But things like confidentiality, you know, this is a safe place where everything you share here is going to be kept here. Uh, I do work, you know, we're a team here in, in this clinic, so I do collaborate with people like Elizabeth, other, other clinicians here. Um, and, you know, when, when we're done with this initial evaluation, and, you know, I, I kind of talk with the team to figure out what the best plan would be for you. Um, it does sound like you, I mean, it sounds like you were referred here once before, and you are kind of looking for longer-term therapy. Yeah, I was really keeping it together, and I had, um, an intake when I was in the hospital and I spoke with a social worker on both accounts and at the time I, I really was keeping it together and doing well and then after I had my daughter in November that's when I things really fell apart I had done too much for too many for too long um, and I reached out and was asking for support I actually was clearly telling people how I felt and that I was struggling and that I could feel myself slipping and that I needed a place to stay. And let me tell you, when you were surrounded by people that just, it was very reflective of my childhood too, of me saying, this is how I feel and this is what I need. No, I don't need this. No, I don't need that. I need this. It, that was not reciprocated. And, um, and also now there's some friction with the family that adopted my children. And we had known each other for 33 years because I was really upset. Was not included in adoption day, and it was a, it's an open adoption, and we've been 
with each other through thick and thin every step of the way. And then as we approached the adoption day, they left me out of it and I expressed how I felt with her and then she gave me some pushback and then they went silent and they ghosted. And so here I am standing up to her and I'm getting the silent treatment and that's my biggest pet peeve, my biggest trigger because my mother is a silent treater, like my older son's father who was very abusive, um, we can talk about that when we get to it, was that way. My current partner slash ex-partner and father of my two children keeps coming in and out and in and out and there's a lot of like borderline-esque type of behavior with him. Um, very hot cold and he's punitive and I mean he got me pregnant twice and then ghosted and was gone and running around. I just found out with whom, had a conversation with her last week. Um, and he also is very punitive and silent treating and like, and then comes around and that seems to be people's modality with me of giving, the silent treatment. giving me the silent treatment, making me pay and then hoping I'm over it because I'm not one, I'm pretty go with the flow, I've always been go with the flow and walking on eggshells and just I worked in crisis intervention and we de-escalate shit before I ever got there. For the first time in my life, I'm like, time out, I'm taking up some space. I'm taking up some space. I'm pissed. And people are like, ooh, I don't like this. I'm really starting to ruffle some feathers now because I'm being loud and proud. I'm using the F word a lot, which I'd like to get away with, get away from eventually. But um, I have to tell you the positive of all of this is I was driving, I drive as a Lyft driver. This was my survival for the last two, two and a half years of working out of and sleeping out of my car and having the freedom to earn money whenever I needed to and have adult interaction within a safety net. And whenever I felt unsafe, I could just be like, ride over, all done, and time out for the day. Um, and just go on trips and eat really good food and just get used to if I ended up in Rhode Island. Make it almost fun. It's re- it actually has been kind of really fun. And I lived in a tent for six months down in the Cape this summer in North Truro and got to know P-Town and did the beach and the pool. And then I did take on a part-time job, which was the worst mistake of my life, which turned into full-time. And uh, working in that environment yeah. was rather, it was like a bullying environment with a lot of, we had three predominantly gay men that were my bosses and they just really mean and it was retail and it was very catty. And yeah. So I walked off that job proudly the moment that there was yeah. an issue. So, so yeah. this is all post the two year ago incident. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to dive more into that history, but I just wanted to again um, touch back on some of those other things. Sure. Um, we were saying, um, glad it sounds like you're pretty comfortable sharing a lot of stuff in here. Which Wicked. I hope that the, the confidentiality piece is part of you feeling safe. Um, but you probably also know that um, there are a couple of exceptions to that, right? Like if you're feeling as someone working crisis, you know, you probably understand that if you're feeling suicidal or feeling like you're going to hurt somebody else, you know, that we are going to take steps to make sure that everyone is safe. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have questions about that? No, it uh, makes sense. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, you've got a, you've got a big story to tell. Really, the point of today is to hear more of that story and figure out. You know what's going on right now um, mm-hmm. that we can help you with. Yeah. Um, so you know we've talked a little bit about the past. We've talked about two years ago. It sounds like last November was also a was it twenty nineteen? This past. Yep. Yeah. I had my son October of last year, twenty ninth, and then okay. Chris was not present for the birth, and he was he met his son three times, and. Um, I ended up hitting him with a restraining order when I found out I was pregnant with my daughter uh, because he was, what I was finding was he wanted nothing to do with me being pregnant. He wanted nothing to do, so he said, but his clinician's notes in his chart say reaction formation is like his number one defense mechanism and projection. Um, He didn't want to be a dad. He didn't want any more children. He already had a daughter. But the moment that I had my son, and then my son was in daycare slash with their godparents, and they were in the process of being adopted, he would show up more frequently, and he was more interested in sleeping in my bed and having sex with me than he was in getting to know his son or asking, where is he? Is he at daycare? Is he with a babysitter? And then um, it came to the point where I told him that there would be a lawyer calling to have him sign the paperwork. When the lawyer called, sign it, and um, I think he thought I was bullshitting. Because when it finally happened, he he was upset with me, which is 
So there's a lot and of lottery what they, control what there. What was the lawyer trying to get him to sign exactly? Uh, adoption paperwork to sign off on his parenting rights. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he very clearly, in writing, via email, stated he did not want to be a dad. and. So I get pregnant with our daughter, and he had a breeding fetish, and he would talk about it, and he would, you know, basically pretend like he didn't finish, but he did. And I got pregnant with our daughter by St. Patrick's Day, two days after St. Patrick's Day, you know, within three or four months of having my daughter, my son. She came along, and that's when I hit him with a restraining order, his response to the pregnancy. So one of the questions I have, just as we're listening so far, it sounds like one of the places that you may struggle is in sort of saying yes to these relationships that inevitably sound like they're harmful to you or get you in a situation that you're not comfortable. I mean, the pattern, even in the 20 minutes that yep. you me, is just remarkable. Yes, and so, uh-huh. is that part of what you're coming to get? help with is sort of that interpersonal yes because you know these guys for example are sound like they're inconsistent at best yep and there may be other words that's a being generous yeah but you you're saying yes too mm-hmm. right and so, it starts with this pattern started when i was a child when i was five years old and I was out playing in the neighborhood. I lived in this like condo community that was uh, a brand new like section eight type of situation. And I was roaming around within the internal community and I met this couple, the husband was in a wheelchair and I introduced myself to them at five and they came over and met my parents and they became friends. And from the age of five until about six, beginning of seventh grade, so 13 years old, they became friends of the family. But what was really odd, and I, this is a big battle that I just overcame and confronting and coming clean about the abuse and the sexual grooming and the, what they did. And then my testimony helped to helped a detective because she's been investigating this couple um, with some sexual abuse allegations. But my mom and my stepdad would leave me with them and let me stay the night. And like, I remember being about five years old and my mom would talk to me about, his name was Lou, her name was Ablana. Lou had an older son from a previous marriage who had allegations of sexual molestation. And I think against the little girl who, when I met this couple, they were pregnant with her. And so I remember my mom dropping me off at their house and I ended up acquiring chicken pox while there. She knew ahead of time, brought me anyway. I remember when I was a little older, head lice went through the house. She let me go over and let me stay there anyway. She mentioned and had conversations. My mom always shared way too much with me and it was just like like her confidant, but she she shared stranger danger concerns and how they made this couple made them feel uncomfortable because like they tried to go out of their comfort zone and go to a nudist beach with a couple and decided that was just not their thing. And yet my mom still kept set letting me go over there and letting me sleep overnight. And there was an incident with them when I was approaching seventh grade where I just testified over the phone with a detective in my hometown because I tried to come clean in 2013 and my stepfather was like, don't speak up. You know if you come forward with this, you could kill him because he had, I think, muscular dystrophy and was in a wheelchair. So it started with that, and that was like my first invasion. And then I had a really great high school relationship. His name was CJ, and he actually proposed. I was a senior in high school, he was a junior. We would have had the best life. His wife and his kids, I still keep in touch with them, would have been ideal, but I broke it off. And then I proceeded to my first relationship in college, my freshman year. I was. That was, he was in a very aggressive, abusive man. And then I had a couple of great partners for the next couple of years. Um, then I had a relationship when I was 21 that was not ideal. We can dig into that. That ended up in an abortion. Um, probably the first man that I fell in love with. And it was an Irish Catholic family based here out of Boston. And when I got pregnant, I was treated very similar to how I was treated in this last situation. Discarded, thrown to the streets, get an abortion, get rid of her. 
Um, and then I had a couple good relationships up until the age of 25 when I met Corey, my older son's father, very abusive, yeah. aggressive recovering alcoholic. So this inventory of your relationships, yeah, it started with, like you said, this pattern of kind of saying yes or getting into situations, mm -hmm. you know, where you ended up needing to kind of really educate mm -hmm. yourself afterwards. And there's been a lot of push-pull, and that push-pull has come with Corey and with Chris. So my older son's father, he... Continued. I, I, I went, I, I pressed charges, I was able to go to court, and I um, won the court case, and um, my son's father lost parenting rights and responsibilities, and I mean, the judge, um, he ruled in my favor, and then he begged and pleaded and struck a deal and was going to get help in the batterer's intervention program, and then I got a call from my um, advocate saying that funding was cut in the state of New Hampshire and that he was going to be going to his last class and be prepared that he was not going to have to complete the program, that there would be no accountability. So Corey is the father of the father, older, my son, older son, who is the, um, someone you met like later? I was 25. Yeah, okay. Yep. And now you mentioned you don't have any contact with your older son. None. And I chose that because when I was pregnant with my second son, um, Chris, what, things were going really well with Chris and I until this incident happened for the most part. And I was preparing to modify the parenting plan and it was in my favor, but when I moved to Boston, I did not bring my son with me and I called Corey and he now had a wife and a, at the time one child on the way. And I said, here's the deal. I'm not dragging him down to Boston. I don't even know if this is gonna stick. Um, I was pursuing dance and I was pursuing, um, you know, becoming a consultant, really taking some big risks. And um, when I transferred down to Boston, there was a lot of back and forth. And then eventually, Corey started to cause a lot of problems and wasn't willing to drive halfway. He stopped working in New Hampshire, so there was no more meat in the middle-ish. And it became, you're going to drive all the way to Falmouth, Maine. He went to Maine to follow me because he tried to reconciliate. And years of this, of he had a girlfriend, it didn't work out because you know, they caught on to his behavior and were not okay with it. So he'd come crawling back and he would show up on my doorstep and yeah. want to get back together. And this went on, like he chased me from Colebrook, New Hampshire to Plymouth, New Hampshire, where I first was enrolled in my PhD and I had my son and he just followed me everywhere. And then he followed me to Maine. And when I said, no, I did not want to get back together. He went on a dating site and met his now wife and now they have two kids. So, but long story short, um, he was forcing, Chris and I were driving all the way to above Portland, Maine mm -hmm. to get my son and then bring him back and it became, there was no equality, there was no 50-50. Despite the parenting plan was supposed to be in my favor, technically I could have brought my son to live with me and uh, we were about to pursue making those changes and, when, and then my mom called Corey, told him what happened with Chris on February 5th and his mother and he modified the parenting plan, made sure he submitted it with his lawyer, through his lawyer, in September of 2018. I was due October of 2018 with my son, and I had strict orders from my midwife, do not travel outside of a 30-minute radius. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, there's so much upheaval and conflict around both of these partners and your kids. Oh, for sure. And I, and I, and I think with all this stress, like you said, you know, Things got, I mean, things got worse in November with, you know, with the third time this had to all happen with your, with your daughter, right? Yeah, with um, my daughter. And, and so when you say that things have gotten worse, you know, like what were you, what were you experiencing? You know, what was coming up? What was happening? So it got to the point where um, I had my daughter and things are going pretty well. Um, and then I had an energy crash. So around Christmas, it's been a month out postpartum, and I had an opportunity for a really great housing situation up in Waterville Valley, New Hampshire. And I reached out to the godparents who had adopted my children and asked for a not money. We hadn't had a monetary exchange with this adoption, but could I have a loan so that I could drop the deposit? There was no background check. It was a shoe-in through a friend. The rent was a steal of a deal. It was a six-month lease. It was perfect. And they couldn't be bothered. And they said that legally they couldn't. And that's when I'm like, wait, what? 
like, you can't help me out at all. They weren't willing to open their doors and let me stay with them. There was like none of, at least. These are family friends, people you've known for a family I've known for almost 33 years, you know, indirectly. She and I grew up from the age of five Mm -hmm. and now they've adopted my kids and uh, that's. Both your younger son and your younger Yep. The two babies together. And it was a really great situation and I got to really integrate and transition them over and visit them as I needed. And then I started to notice just looks and judginess and a coldness when I would visit and I wasn't feeling welcome and there's that feeling coming up of they don't know and asking for them to help. And then I tried spinning my wheels to go to work to make the money fast like I always have to get the apartment and I just had to say I can't I'm exhausted I'm exhausted I can't do this by myself anymore and then there was nobody nobody there um, and then I actually had some an anxiety like um, I would say I started to have and I've never had issues with this before a tightness in my chest that was so painful I thought I was having a heart attack I honestly thought I was having a heart attack um, I was practicing yoga and I still practice yoga despite this last week I've taken a huge week off um, to really sit with myself and isolate whenever I'm struggling I isolate and try to sit with my feelings but um, yeah I was digging into a lot of flow and um, surrender and be in root I go to Lifetime Athletic which is a company I used to work for so I recognize some of the staff I used to work with them or teach with them and um, And then I started to have feelings like I was slipping away and I felt like I was dying and I was telling my, I was telling the people closest to me, I'm not suicidal, but there's something happening here. And I feel like it's like a spiritual death. Like I feel like the old me, like this is that transition and part of that healing. But, um, it was, it was really tough to put my finger on. I just was really struggling. And so a friend that the adoptive parents introduced me to, she is a very basic level, like mental health-ish, and I think she does a lot with kids that in the foster care system. And it became, you should go into the hospital, you should go in for crisis, if you, and if you need a bed to sleep in, just go to the emergency room. I'm like, I'm not going to the emergency room. I'm not in that kind of crisis. Like, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm not injurious. But literally, I was like sleeping in my car, feeling terrible. And then it's like Chris could pick up on that radar. And he calls after months of not speaking to him, actually 10 months of not speaking. In which case, I decided to reconnect and meet up because at this point, there's nobody else there and I'm tired. Yeah, and at this point, I was concerned for my safety. I'm like, well, at least, you know, physiological needs are being met here and I'll be able to sleep in a hotel room and have some human contact and um, even looked at sex as a very basic need. And he's the only one I've really been very sexual with and enjoyed that with. So... Yeah, it, it became a survival method of, you know what, this is better than, this is something. Yeah, 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 I mean, it sounds like you were cold, you were sleeping in your car, mm-hmm. physiological needs were not being met. I was not feeling well at all, I was feeling probably my worst. How did all that help with, with that feeling of spiritual death? It actually, tr- it helped, there was a huge release after that night, that morning, spending the morning with him, it was like this, I actually had like muscle soreness in my chest for days after, where I had let go of whatever that was. Yeah, and then he was calling me, he was the most predictable that he's been since I met him, and calling me every Friday thereafter, so this is February, and uh, late January and February, and then February 14th was like the second or third Friday in a row that he called. I didn't answer, which was a new thing for me. Um, and yeah, and then I started having some things happen with my body and that shortly after sleeping with him and found out that um, I had contracted HPV and I also had abnormal and abnormal pap come back. Um, for my cervix and I reached out to his ex-wife and found out she too had contracted HPV in 2010 and some other things that he had brought home to her while she was pregnant and had left her as well and had the same behavior and then I reached out to a woman two weeks ago that he I had seen some pictures pop up on social media with them we used to dance socially and it had come up on the Havana website and um, and she confirmed that 
he was with her and when he was with her. And I said, well, you need to get tested for HPV, FYI. And uh, so, yeah, I've been going through. I've had more medical appointments in the last couple of weeks than I probably ever have. Yeah. It sounds like you're, I mean, really doing your due diligence to get that checked out and make sure yeah. it's not a seat of order. Exactly. And um, and I finally had, I am so anti-birth control. There's, I was just going to say, are you using that to protect yourself? I am now. I, I it, was, it was so hard for me to make that decision because I'm 37 and I am very connected to my feminine energy. I am all about if my body can make children. I love children. I want to be a mother, want to have have a family, and I also know the risks that come with birth control. And um, had when I met Chris, that was a decision I had made. I was 35-ish, approaching 35, where I told him from the very beginning, I've made a huge change in my life. I'm a holistic practitioner. There is no birth control. Enter at your own risk. You are my only like he was. You are my only partner. So he, you know, he tried to get me on birth control in the very beginning, and I'm like, you're not controlling. If you don't want babies, get a vasectomy. It's that simple. Like I'm not doing altering my body hormonally, and you know, for you, I'm putting something in my body that's quite potentially harmful. Is it hard for you that you cannot take care of your babies that you make? I haven't sat with that yet. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's a piece of what might be under the surface. I mean, the openness to creating them and yet not actually being able to have them. And it's very difficult because I had a brilliant career working as a BHP and as an alternative educator and working with children of all ages and being able to have, like I, I'm a phenomenal educator and I know I'm a phenomenal mother. I've had people that knew me when I was Sawyer's mom. I just recently connected with a friend that knew me eight years ago when I was a single mom and he was with me all the time. And she was like showing me her life and how she had rebuilt. She's like, basically, you were my mentor. She said, you were, you were such a good mom. I wanted to be just like you. And it was her way of showing me, look at how far I've come, and you were the reason why. And um, that relationship, we connected, but I cut it off and uh, decided that I had outgrown it. And uh, there was... That, that sounds like it might be one of the more powerful underlying issues, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of leaving yourself vulnerable to pregnancy and wanting to be a mom, and yet recognizing that... And being stampeded by the mother-in-law figures. Corey's mother was very intrusive and took over my role as a mother and I mean to the point where she would take the baby out early in the morning when I was breastfeeding and I was struggling with breastfeeding because come to find out she was feeding my son a bottle freaking behind my back and it was very much it was like Corey and his mother were the parents to my son and same thing with Chris and that I was able to squash that very quickly when I I, when I made the decision around the babies, it was um, I have a stepdaughter, her name is Susanna, and Chris led Holly on to believe that they were going to work things out, and then took Susanna, didn't bring her home at the end of summer break after they had separated, and won custody of her, and um, now Chris and his mother, actually his mother is raising Susanna. Chris has been doing more than Disneyland daddy. Yeah. It doesn't sound like the most reliable person. But yeah. I guess my, so, I mean, you've got all these kids um, and all this stuff going on in your life. You said you should this together except for housing, which is great to hear. But I guess I'm wondering, um, what are you hoping for out of therapy? You know, are you wanting to reunite with some of your kids? Are you, like, what, what, what are some of your goals? Um, At this point, it's more just, um, I'm in self-care mode for the first time ever. And I have not engaged with even Sawyer because it became asking permission and being yanked around and dicked around by his father. And and so, yeah, it just got to the point where I stopped engaging. And it was very much, you will be respectful. You will do this. You will do that. And for the first time, I was not being respectful with his father.
no, you won't tell me what to do. I don't like you. Yeah, I was like, I don't respect you. I'm not okay with this situation. And I'm not running things by you and asking permission. And he was giving my son during my parenting time to my grandparents, to his parents in New Hampshire. They were up in Bangor. One of the final incidents was... Can I just do that, though, to to come back to Josh's question? Yeah. There's so many events and incidents that we could learn about, and we will, no doubt about it. What can we help you with in therapy? What are you, when you say you're in self-care mode, what does that look like? How do we, how do we help you? So from day to day, self-care is like me sleeping in the car and putting my seat back when I'm tired. Do you want to remain living in your car? I don't. I've been asking for housing. I've been asking for relocation. I've been asking for I'll live anywhere, send me anywhere. And can you afford if you work a steady job? Can you I drive afford? for a lift. I make more than what a steady job would pay. And then I became so, so a. Can you afford your own housing? That is the question. Eventually, okay. I can't right now. Okay. Yeah. That's what we're wondering. Like, is that a goal then to yeah. continue working and and find get your apartment or? or something like that. The biggest thing is me wanting to get the hell out of here and not having any ties or any resources to help, not even hold my hand, just help me out a little. Like I'm very self-sufficient, but it's getting some sort of connection to somewhere where I can start over and rebuild. Mm. Uh, and definitely not here. And but here you mean Boston? Boston, yeah. yeah. So your work here would be somewhat time limited. Is that what you're... That's, I'm not, I, at this point I'm just doing what I have to do and I'm stuck in a frozen holding pattern. Like I know that my health care is um, essential and I, it's almost like the gates are open and I'm free and I can go wherever I want and now um, I'm having to focus on just recovery and my health before I can move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So trying to figure out a way to get out of survival mode. Self-care is a big part of that, but before you can really get out of survival mode you have to feel stable and then you can maybe get a stronger sense of like where you want to go yeah like where is the here that, or where is that you know if you get out of here where are you going to go yes it's hard to think about that when you're in survival mode it is and that's something i've talked about in some of the therapy appointments that i've had recently of not even doing any work and getting into any work until i have housing and i've um contacted so many resources and I keep the mall keeps getting dropped and I did have I think it was Casa Myrna followed back up with me and they're all they had a spot open up in a bed in a shelter for women however it needs to have parking because my job relies on driving I have a vehicle and I can't go backwards and get rid of my car and quit my job so that I can go sleep in a bed um, and so when it comes time for finding a place to stay, a women's shelter based around any support around domestic violence, something that's safe, that, um, yeah, we haven't had any follow-throughs for a place where I can drive to and reset and have a safe sleeping spot while I rebuild my life or think about the next step. We've talked about rapid rehousing. That hasn't followed through. Housing is tough. Especially here. Yeah. Hmm. Well, what else does your self care look like? Uh, and maybe what are some areas that you want to increase your self care? Yeah, I make sure that I go to the gym every day, um, that I'm showered and I'm dressed my best and I feel my best self, and yoga and sometimes other classes. I have one friend that I've met at the gym who's going through something similar. Um, with her now ex-husband and um, that's a really nice connection to have and I like being at the gym because like I said I used to work for the company so I'm a face that people have known and it's a good checkpoint and for people to check in with me and also have that interaction Um, I tend to I've been struggling with time and I've let go of all sense of time and which is why the driving is so good for me. I can get on the road when I need to, when I have the energy and when I'm tired, I stop. When I'm hungry, I eat. Um, so can I ask more about when you say you lose, you've lost enough time, like what does that look like? I, the days are just blowing by and um, I've been missing a couple of appointments recently, which is not the usual. I used to be on top of everything and I can 
could go to the gym and three, four, five hours go by and I don't know where the days are going. I'm just off in another place. Wow. Yeah. So if you spend three hours in the gym, what are you doing? Um, I usually go to a yoga class. Sometimes I'll go to two classes depending on back-to-backs, I'll take a shower, do the whole like routine, um, you know, hit the sauna for a few minutes, but, and then eat because we have a cafe there. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of in this, I used to do so much and now I'm in this, I almost want to do nothing mode. I can just go there and be totally good moving at a snail's pace. Yeah. yeah. Struggling to motivate, but then I'm in this really interesting, like, um, very trancey state where I don't want to say in the beginning there was a lot of ruminating and there was a lot of flashbacks that were coming up. Um, and it's better now where not as many flashbacks, but now it's like nothing, like nothing and almost peaceful, but yeah. Yeah. So maybe you feel kind of numb. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can imagine, like, with all the stuff that you're struggling with, you know, you might feel, you said you, that tightness in your chest um, was one of the first times you'd experienced something that strong. Yeah. Uh, but you're striking me right now, and as you're talking about all this really stressful stuff, as someone, you're not feeling like a very big feelings about any of this. So maybe it's just because you just met me, but I'm wondering if you feel that numbness a lot of the time. It's new. It's, it's new. I was very much a feeler. I would almost feel too much okay. intensely. And then with, I've been focusing on detaching with love and when Sandria and Matt went silent with regards to the children um, with the adoption, that was the breaking point for me. That's when I went numb. That's when I was like, I almost feel like that broke me. And I'm like, now I have no attachment. I told them, I said, this was my baseline. This was my, I'm okay. This was my, if my kids are okay, if I can see them every day, I used to see them on social media, that was enough for me. And I expressed that need. I contacted the attorney that's been assisting with the adoption. And I said, look, they went silent. They excluded me from the adoption. I'm really hurt, but not seeing them every day, that's not okay. And she's like, I can understand that. And then I've heard nothing from the attorney or from them. And I haven't seen the kids in like three weeks, maybe a month. And ever since then, it's just been, I have no soul. I love nothing. I love no one. Like now I'm at the point where I'm like, I have no attachment to anything other than myself. And that makes sense. You're focusing on taking care of yourself and trying mm -hmm. to restore mm -hmm. yourself. Um, can you remind me, it said, you said that you would noticed them kind of judging you a little bit. You were maybe asking for some more stuff or standing up a little bit. And that's when, you know, do you yeah. have any sense of why they went silent on you? She made a comment via text and I really read it several times before I responded to make sure I wasn't looking into it more than I thought. But it was basically along the lines of not knowing where you are and what you're doing has brought us a sense of peace and when and it got to the point where like her kids her older kids would avoid me and we were very close and we would talk about a lot of things and then it got to the point too where she also had voiced and I didn't talk about it a lot and I was very aware of this but she just didn't want to be consumed with talking about Chris at all like that the name was almost like a swear word in her house. She's like, I just don't want to, and, I, and it, there weren't many boundaries, but they came up recently and I was like, okay, and done, and honored them. And she basically was wanting to see me just move on and, and, and do well. It was almost like, we have your kids, we've taken the stress away, go, like go. And I'm like, it's not that easy, I can't just go. And, um, I'll go when I'm ready and I was telling her like I'm not ready yet and I have some health concerns and I'm going through counseling now and like I need to transition on my own accord and they were almost looking at me like why can't you just go and all your life you've just been strong or the word strong you're so strong you're so and I'm like stop telling me I'm strong I don't want to be I'm tired of playing that role I am tired of being like the martyr and the oh wow 
Christy's so strong and she can do anything and everything and look at what she's overcome. It's like, no, I'm showing you that I'm not okay. And people are like, I don't like this side of you. Yeah. So something about you showing them that. Vulnerable, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, even with my new friend, Mimi, it was really interesting. She doesn't know me well, and she I met her at the gym, and we connected through emotionally. She had heard through the grapevine that I was going through some stuff, and then come to find out she was going through some serious yucky stuff with her ex-husband that was very sexually abusive in nature, and that, yeah, it was like 50 shades of gray. He had a whole different identity with other women. Um, and so she was able to make that cut and when I was showing my vulnerability recently with her, she was almost like, no, like begging and pleading. Like, no, you can't. You can't be connecting and talking to Chris. You can't be seeing Chris. And then she was emotional. I'm like, yeah, I miss, you know, my husband. And sometimes I think, but I can't. And so she's my baseline for, like, ruthless. Like, no, we will not go back. But I'm noticing that there's a lot of almost like begging and pleading when I break and I cave that people are like, oh, no, if she's not strong, we're not strong. Or when maybe it's also the, one of the things I was wondering about too is there's when you break, which I'm curious about too, just to see what you mean by that, yeah. which doesn't have to be for today, but um, you know, there's a lot of chaos that ensues. Yeah. So when you break, the system gets yeah. very complicated. So I'm guessing that part of why other people want you to stay strong is so that it minimizes the chaos, right, everywhere. Do you feel that way, that there's chaos when you break? Usually it's the other way. It's I haven't broken, and I'm the one holding it together, and chaos is ensuing around you, around relying you. on me to stay baseline, to stay stable, to stay calm, to, okay. to keep everybody flowing, to keep everybody on base. And so now for the first time, I'm not fixing anything. I'm not fixing anyone. Um, and even though people are reaching out or like Chris is giving me push-pull behaviors, I'm just giving like almost like gray rock, like, yeah, okay, cool. Mm-hmm, no. And now people are like, what, who, what is this? And I'm uh, trying to elicit some sort of emotional, I'm not. I don't tend to, I tend to just be, and this is how I feel, and okay, yep, cool. And so this is the first time that I'm actually really like showing emotion or being less strong and more, wow guys, like this is too much for me, stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and naturally for the first time, if you're doing that for the first time, you're going to want to stabilize and start to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're running out of time for today, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I guess I just wanted to check in and see um, if you had any questions for us, if there was any last minute little piece that you think is important for us to know about anything else you're looking for or need right now or anything you're doing right now as part of your care. I started dancing again, and this was really tough because that's how I, Chris and I met. Yeah. And there was a lot of denial and he was running around telling people this wasn't his child and there was just a lot of just causing a divide and making me feel uncomfortable. He would, when I was pregnant after I was thrown to the streets, he denied that he did that and, you know, really was pitting people against me and so I started going back recently and I went to a dance social last night and I'm getting some warm reception yeah. and it's nice to go back and there's some empowerment there too. Empowerment, community, yeah. it's visible. Yeah. And almost taking back ownership of mm-hmm. this is my dance floor. Would you be open to doing groups? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Mm-hmm. That might be another helpful suggestion. It's some great groups going on. that we have are kind of grounded in this assumption that everyone here has experienced trauma. It yeah. certainly sounds like you've yeah. had your fair share. Oh right? my goodness, so much. And even in the last two, two and a half years, there's more in terms of yeah. me working myself off the street, having a lease in Charlestown, mm-hmm. renting out my 
house because Chris didn't come home. And then the first two roommates were great. The last two that came together were a nightmare to the point where I had to move out and end the lease. And then there was a lot of like small micro traumas on the road, everyday mm-hmm. driving and verbal abuse, and physical altercation, and people bumping gosh. into my car. I can only imagine what it's like being a Lyft driver. And oh my gosh. Really trying you experience, but yeah. we'll have to dig into that in a yeah, later time. For sure. Um, but I mean, at this point, what we're going to do is figure out, you know, what what groups we have to offer that mm-hmm. can kind of fit with mm-hmm. your service. You know, we're going to match up with a therapist um, mm-hmm. who will be able to dig into more of these stories, help yeah. you figure out more of what your self-care is so that you feel ready to kind of both rebuild and take that next step. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, it could be a, a week or so until we kind of have, you know, figured all that out, but then we'll get back to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. You're from Josh. Yeah, yeah, I'll call you. Next and, uh, Monday, most likely. Most likely next Monday yeah. is when I'll call you. Okay. Yeah. How's that sound? This sounds good. Okay, well, thank you so much for sharing. I know that, I, I know you probably have a lot more stories oh to tell. Oh my gosh, yeah. And, um, you know, I'm just hopeful that we can be a part of this healing process for you. I appreciate that, yeah, that I, to be able to move on and stop with the patterns to be able to just, I'm moving into a new era of my life too where I became a voice actor and narrator in this shit show because I was talking about my story and a producer and casting director um, happened to say, this is what you need to be doing with your life. And he was right. That's so, potential, yeah. Yeah. To keep going. yeah. Something to focus on. That'd be great. Yeah. Okay, well. All right, let me cool. drive safe door today. For you. Thank yeah. you, we'll do. Yes, indeed. Now I have a different mindset and I've altered the time of day that I drive. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll talk again soon. Okay. Nice Thank you. Do I have keys, you know, sunglasses, the essentials? Yeah. All those Thank you. Take good care. Thanks so much.